This morning's Bible readings start with two passages from Acts and then continue with a short reading from St. Luke's Gospel. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen said, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors, and you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the tops of their voices, they all rushed at once at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day... A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And from St. Luke's Gospel. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is the word of the Lord. What would you do 
for Jesus. That's what we were thinking about earlier, isn't it? What wouldn't you do for Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, come by your Spirit. Help me to speak and give us all ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we continue with our um, sermon series from the book of Acts, and I do encourage you to pick up... Oh, are the Bibles not out on the chairs? Oh, I've made a mistake. Sarah, thank you. If you could quickly uh, get some Bibles, that would be wonderful. Um, I'm going to... Uh, you don't, we won't need them for a minute or two, so that's fine while the Bibles are going out. Um, we're going to continue our reading from Acts, and uh, the reason I suggest that you have a Bible is because today's um, talk covers... Everything from Acts chapter 6, verse 8, all the way to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. But it would have been so long to have it as a full reading that we wouldn't have had time for a sermon. So um, I'm going to take us through that. And many of you will have heard of Stephen because he is known as the first Christian martyr. In other words, he's the first person who is recorded as having died because of his faith in Jesus Christ. But I wonder how many of you have heard the name Suzanne de Cricor. Perhaps nobody. Suzanne de Cricor, um, until recently, was living in Idlib province in Syria, teaching children voluntarily in her retirement. She was teaching Arabic language and other subjects and helping children with their exam preparation. Three weeks ago, she was attacked by a jihadist group. She was repeatedly raped and tortured, and then they stoned her to death. Why? Because she loves Jesus. Apparently, five years ago, there used to be more than 10,000 Christians in Idlib province. Today, there are less than 200, and she was one of them. She stayed on bravely because she loved the village where she lived, she loved the community where she lived, and she loved helping the children. As far as I know, Suzanne's death didn't get a mention on the BBC or ITV or Sky News or CNN. They weren't interested. Suzanne is simply the latest of a staggering figure of almost 100,000 Christians each year who lose their lives because of their love for Jesus. And Stephen, who we read about this morning, was the first. Now that may sound sombre, but as I often say when I'm preaching in church, the gospel is always good news. In fact, we can learn much from Stephen's life and his death and the effect that he had on the early church and the spread of the gospel. He was an amazing disciple. And his example can help us to become more Christ-like and become more passionate disciples. We'll probably never know this side of heaven what effect Suzanne's life has had on the people she knew and loved in Idlib. But from what we're going to look at this morning, you can be pretty sure that her life will have made an amazing contribution to the kingdom of God. So I'm going to do briefly three things. Explain what happened and why. 
why Stephen was killed by the religious authorities. Help us to see that his death was not a terrible mistake. And thirdly, see how his example can inspire us in our following of Jesus. And they may be a bit mixed up, those three things, but those are the three things I'm going to try and do. So what happened and why? Well, I don't know if you remember the reading last week. I probably just need to briefly recap. But it was the reading known as the choosing of the seven, when the early church had to solve a tricky problem. Because the early church was uh, comprised of mainly, um, in fact, virtually all um, Jewish converts who had recognized Jesus as the Messiah. The early church was distributing food parcels to the widows of the Jews. There was no social security in those days. So just like Ready Food does in Reading, where we gather food here in the box in the, in the, in the welcome area, and then it goes to Ready Food, and they distribute food parcels. That's what the early church was doing. But the non-Jewish widows started to get out of shape. They started to get rightly quite annoyed because the Jewish widows were getting the food parcels and none of the other ones were. And so the apostles decided that they would choose seven men in order to distribute food parcels. As Andrea told us last week, they viewed the distribution of food as a sacred ministry and they chose Stephen to head it up because he was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And our reading today begins in chapter 6, verse 8, by relating that Stephen was, quote, a man full of God's grace and power, performing great wonders and signs among the people. And if you've got your Bible, then page 1098 is where you want to be. Page 1098 is where you want to be. As I said earlier, most Christians today know of, Christian, of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, this great man of God who died for the faith. But where did he start? Delivering food parcels. And you know, delivering food parcels isn't a very glamorous job. I've delivered a fair few food parcels in my time. Um, And although most people are very grateful, it's also sometimes awkward because people don't like to receive handouts. I mean, they they need them, but they're embarrassed about it. And, uh, And you also encounter a few folk who inspect the bag that you've brought for them and then make it perfectly obvious that it falls well short of their expectations of what they hope to get, but you have to love them anyway. So it's not a glamorous job, but that didn't put Stephen off. He was prepared to serve humbly and in relative obscurity, and it would hardly have been a celebrity role in the church. So here's a question. Are we prepared as Christians to join in with the less glamorous or behind-the-scenes tasks Serving tea and coffee, mowing the grass, serving in the creche, or helping Chris with the youth work in the vicarage, or on a Friday evening. All those things that happen out of sight of the main church service. Because the role that Stephen had delivering food parcels didn't stop him from performing, we read in verse 8, great wonders and signs among the people. Delivering food parcels might have been his official role, but he also told people about Jesus, he prayed for healing for people, and God worked great wonders and signs through him. You know, it was an interesting coincidence. Well, well, Kirstie got back from South Africa on Thursday and last week, and she noticed that the grass car park out there was covered in in rubbish. And um, 
And so she got one of the litter-picking sticks and a black bin liner, and she went out and she started clearing up the front. But it so happens that while she was in South Africa, she'd felt a nudge from the Lord to litter-pick these two footpaths on either side of the church. They solemn walk, and I've forgotten the name of the other one, but on both sides of, of the church. And, uh, and so when she finished doing the grass car park, she thought, oh, well, I'll set off down solemn walk. And, uh, and she did that. And... Um, as soon as she did, she found herself talking to um, a man in his 30s who was working in his garden. It turned out he was due to have an operation for a lump on his neck. She ended up laying hands on him and praying for him um, there on Sullen Walk. A couple of minutes later, she met a young mum who had had a baby at 29 weeks. Miraculously, the baby had had no ill effects of being born so early. But it was amazing how fruitful that little walk with the, with the litter-picking stick and, and the bin had been. And um, I think as we obey the call of Jesus in our lives, as we listen to the Holy Spirit, even in the most menial of tasks, God will bless our faith and what small courage we have to step out and go where he's leading us. Paul the Apostle reminded his readers in his letter to the Philippians, uh, this is from the message version, that Jesus had equal status with God and didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status but set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave to live a selfless, obedient life and die a selfless, obedient death. Where will you go? Who will you speak to? Will you dare to invite that family member or friend or work colleague to church or to Alpha? Will you pray for someone in your workplace? Will you dare to pray, Lord, show me who I am to speak to? Or Lord, please give me the opportunity to extend an invitation. Stephen was a distributor of food parcels and God used him mightily and God can use all of us mightily as well. So why then did Stephen get into so much trouble and end up being stoned to death for his faith? Well, in the next verse, in verse 9, we're told that opposition arose from among the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, which included Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and Asia. Now, these would have been former slaves who had either been uh, set free or had earned their freedom in some way, and uh, they worshipped at this particular synagogue, and they took exception to what Stephen was saying about Jesus and began to argue with him. But we're told in verse 10 that they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. I find this so reassuring. Notice that Stephen is not credited as a man with great wisdom. His evident wisdom came from God's Spirit dwelling in him as he spoke. Isn't that great? We can all be wise. We just need the Holy Spirit. And we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus had said in Luke 11, verse 11 and 12, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about what you will say or how you will defend yourselves for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. I don't know about you, but very often in the past, when I've been put on the spot, or when I'm really nervous because I've, I've got to say something, perhaps in a strange context, a couple of times I've been invited to speak live on air on, on BBC Radio Berkshire. And I've been petrified, I can tell you, I've been praying like mad beforehand. <laughs> but I've always found that when the que- as the questions are put, the words have just flowed, and I'm sure that that was the Holy Spirit. 
Anyway, as a result of Stephen's eloquence and his brilliant defense of the gospel, his protractors get even, detractors get even more annoyed with him. And in the next few verses, they trump up false charges against him, false witnesses. They drag him in front of the Sanhedrin, the highest court of the Jewish court of the day, which met in the temple. And they accuse him in verse 13 of speaking against the temple and the law. In other words, they accuse him of blasphemy because the temple was the place where they believed God presenced himself and the law was, of course, God's word. So if Stephen was speaking against the temple and against the law, he was in serious trouble. Jewish law pronounced the death penalty for blasphemy. Now, if you look at your Bibles, there's chapter 7. And chapter 7 goes on for one, two, three, four columns. It's a big chapter. And virtually all of chapter 7 is Stephen's defence speech to the court, to the Sanhedrin. And um, so the charge is blasphemy, speaking against God, and specifically about speaking against the temple and speaking against law. How does Stephen defend himself? We won't go through the chapter verse by verse, but I've I've sort of summarised it here. What was his defence when he was accused of blasphemy? Well, he gives a summary of most of the Old Testament of the Bible. And his intention is to demonstrate that God is not simply resident in the holy temple, as they thought, but a living God moving and active in the world he created and the world that he wants to reconcile to himself. And John Stott writes in his commentary on Acts, that Stephen describes God as the pilgrim God, who is not restricted to any one place. The God of glory had appeared to Abraham while he was still in heathen Mesopotamia. He was the God that Joseph, he was with Joseph even when Joseph was a slave in Egypt. He was the God who came to Moses in the desert in a burning bush and declared the ground, that dirt that ground holy. And although in the wilderness God had been moving from place to place with a tent as his dwelling, yet Stephen concludes in verse 48 of chapter 7, the most high God does not live in houses made by human hands. We come together to to worship God, don't we, on a Sunday here in, in this church, but this isn't the place where God dwells. God dwells out there in Southcote, in Reading, across the world. He's with us here on a Sunday, of course, but he is everywhere. In other words, if God has any home on earth, it's with his people that he lives and no building can confine him. The temple is no longer the dwelling place of God. The temple is the people of God. As as Peter the Apostle had written, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So firstly, Stephen's defence is that the church, is that the temple is the people of God. It's the very fulfilment of temple worship. And secondly, his defence is to the accusation that Stephen speaks against the law. And that is found in chapter 7, verse 51, if you want to turn there. And this is where Stephen really lets rip at the court He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestor. You always resist the Holy Spirit. 
Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him, meaning Jesus. In essence, Stephen is saying that by denying the Messiah who was prophesied right through the Scriptures, it is them who are denying the law rather than him. They are guilty of blasphemy rather than Stephen. And that is too much for them. And verse 54 tells us that when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. I don't know about gnashing your teeth. Um, But uh, they must have been pretty angry. They must have been pretty angry. I think Stephen knew at this point that he wasn't going to survive the day. But he's so full of the Holy Spirit that while he's there, he has a vision of Jesus standing at God's right hand, no doubt preparing to welcome him into heaven. He says, look, I see heaven open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And that seals his fate. The place goes wild. They rush at him, they drag him out, and they begin to stone him to death. So the human verdict is guilty as charged, guilty of blasphemy. But the divine verdict, well, that is very different. Stephen has been faithful to the end. Stephen is innocent of all charges. Stephen is welcomed into the kingdom of God. And as Phil Moore points out in his book, Straight to the Heart of Acts, Stephen uh, remains Christ's perfect witness, even as he dies, revealing nothing other than peace and love He commits his spirit to Jesus and he forgives the lynch mob who are stoning him to death, just as Jesus had done on the day of his crucifixion. And he then goes to join his glorified saviour in heaven. So here's a question. It's around forgiveness. Are we prepared, as Jesus was and as Stephen was, to forgive even those who have done us and our loved ones the worst kind of harm? Are we prepared to hand them over to God and let him deal with them? As Paul wrote in Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Leave room for God's wrath. Will we trust Jesus so much, as Stephen did, that we can let them off the hook? We can leave them to God's judgment and even pray for God's blessing and grace on their lives because that's what Stephen did it can be easy to read this whole account of the ministry and death of Stephen and to think it was all a gigantic mistake I mean Stephen is such an amazing Jesus follower wouldn't we all want to be like him so full of the Holy Spirit so full of Jesus so full of love and forgiveness Why does he so badly shoot his mouth off in front of the Sanhedrin court that he gets dragged out and stoned to death? Think of the great things he could have done if that hadn't happened. Was it all a great mistake? But here's the thing. He's so full of the Holy Spirit that he does exactly what God is asking him to do. How many times have you and I had a sense that God is asking us 
to do something, to go and talk to someone, to perhaps pray for someone or make that invitation or share a word from the Lord. But we've chickened out. I know I have. I don't know about you, but I definitely have. But nevertheless, isn't it still a waste of Stephen's life? No, not a bit. Because the consequences of Stephen's death for the kingdom of God are immense. Just look at the very end of our passage. Chapter 8, verse 1. There are two really important things in, in this verse. First of all, read just under the bit where it says the church persecuted and scattered. And that verse says, On that day, in other words the day of Stephen's death, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Just remember that, Judea and Samaria. Now turn back half a dozen pages to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 8. Okay? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus is sending out his disciples before he returns to heaven. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and where? In Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The persecution that broke out as a result of Stephen's death brought about the evangelization of Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus had desired and as he prophesied. And secondly, the verse even before that, at the very beginning of chapter 8, says, And Saul approved of their killing him, of killing Stephen. Saul, this is the young man who was keeping an eye on their coats while they stoned Stephen to death. This Saul would go on to become Paul, renamed uh, after his conversion to become the great apostle to the Gentiles, the man who would take the gospel out to the Greco-Roman Empire from where it would eventually spread all around the world. Stephen's witness made a great impression on Saul, who was to become Paul the Apostle, because he talks about it later on in the book of Acts. And no doubt Stephen's witness was something that inspired Paul the Apostle as an incredible witness in the face of adversity as he took the gospel to the very ends of the earth, just as Jesus had foretold. So far from being a defeat, the death of Stephen was a great victory for the kingdom of God. It broke the gospel out of Jerusalem and ultimately took the good news all around the planet. And Stephen's death concludes the first part of the book of Acts, which is the birth of the church in Jerusalem. And it acts as a bridge to the growth of the gospel all around the world. You can see Acts in sort of two parts like that. So, finally the challenge. Three questions to finish up with. To think about, to ponder, to take home, to pray about, which all come off the back of Stephen's witness to Christ. Firstly, are we, like Stephen, prepared to serve in humble places? Will we, like Stephen and his food parcels, muck in with the serving jobs as well as accepting the upfront roles? Because God uses humility so powerfully, probably more powerfully than the upfront roles. Secondly, will we, like Stephen, boldly proclaim our faith in word as well as deed and become ministers of the gospel in our homes, in our workplaces, in our social settings? Will we be open about our faith and make those invitations to others to come and see for themselves? And thirdly, will we, like Stephen, 
follow and obey Jesus by forgiving all those who have hurt us, no matter what? Will we allow Jesus to be judge, not us, and bless rather than curse those who hurt us? Let's pray. Lord, like the early church, we need your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit so much, Lord, to give us humble hearts, to make us bold witnesses and obedient spirits that are quick to forgive. And Lord, as we come to communion today, nourish us at your table. Give us grace to face every trial and lead us into all truth for your sake and your glory. Amen.